0: that small group atmosphere and we're gonna do it in this room and so I hope you'll come I know it's summer people are in and out but we're gonna begin a series uh, next week that'll be a four-week series and then coming back at the end of July we're gonna do another uh, night of worship here on a Wednesday night we will come back and live stream that for you but uh, that'll be great so we've got some things in the works that we're planning as we're making this transition back so uh, we're going to finish up this study we've been in for a couple of weeks called Hope in the Dark. It's from the book of Habakkuk, and it's from a book by Craig Rochelle called Hope in the Dark. And I just want to encourage you, if you know of somebody who is in the dark right now, as far as where they're walking through a dark season or they're facing a lot of discouragement, I would order this book on Amazon and give, them to them, give it to them. It's super simple to read. They can read it in probably two hours. It's real practical a lot of great stories in there and and we're kind of in an unlikely place I mean most of us probably aren't going to sit down in the mornings with a cup of coffee and read the book of Habakkuk because just saying it feels like you're spitting on your neighbor but uh, but in this book it's it's a really interesting book we're going to finish it up tonight Habakkuk was one of 12 Old Testament prophets Uh, this this book is only three chapters long he lived in the southern kingdom of Judah. And he wrote and lived about 600 years before the birth of Christ. So that kind of gives you a time frame. And, and Habakkuk was a very different prophet. Normally, when you think about prophets, you think about men who, who hear from God and speak to the people. But Habakkuk was the opposite. He spoke to God on behalf of the people. And Habakkuk was not happy when he spoke to God. He was discouraged He was seeing the nation kind of go downhill. Uh, And he was asking the same question that a lot of people are asking today, 2,600 years later. Why doesn't God seem fair? And he was wrestling with that. He didn't hold back. He really had some bold conversations with God. And the whole book of Habakkuk is Habakkuk speaking to God and God speaking back to Habakkuk and this back and forth. And so let's review a little bit where we've been. Uh, I think most everybody in the room, most of y'all have been here over the two weeks. And, and, uh, and hopefully if you're, if you're catching it for the first time, let's catch you up real quick. So chapter 1 is a chapter about wondering. Uh, Habakkuk is wondering. He's saying, where are you, God? And uh, we learned that first week that the name Habakkuk means to embrace or to wrestle. In this whole book, we see him live out his name. And we're going to see that even more tonight when we look at chapter 3. But we said last week and the week before that this isn't a sitcom sermon or a sitcom Bible study or a sitcom uh, uh, book in the Bible. Meaning that a sitcom, you have a problem in about 5 to 7 minutes and by the 30 minute mark after a couple commercial breaks, everybody's fine and dandy and everything's great. This is not a sitcom sermon or book. The problems aren't solved. The problems are still on the way at the end of the book of Habakkuk. So uh, it's a little bit different. But Habakkuk has some problems with God. We talked about it in the first week. His first problem was God. He says, God, you really don't seem to care. His second problem was you aren't doing much when you could do a lot. And the third problem is what you are doing really doesn't seem to be uh, fair. And so the first week we used this illustration and and, uh, last week when Brad spoke... He pulled it up as well. And real simple idea of that. If this dot represents you and I and the birth of our walk with the Lord, that, you know, as we begin to follow God, it's kind of natural that uh, as we're growing our faith, it seems like every sermon we hear... Every song we hear on the radio, everything's just pumping life into us. And, and, you know, you remember those early days, and you're just on the way up. I mean, nothing can get you down. You know, you're singing that song, Ain't Nothing Gonna Break My Stride. I mean, you're on the way up, and you're, you're rolling. And sometime, you get to the peak, and, uh, and at some point, you got to come back down, right? At some point, you know, you come to church, and it's like, Ah, it was a good message, but it wasn't probably for me. It was probably for somebody else. And the songs on the Christian radio station, they're not really hitting you. And you kind of hit the hum drums, you know, just kind of the ordinary days of your Christian walk. And for a lot of people, after they hit that for a little while, as they're dealing with that, they come down and they hit this, this point in their walk. that's represented by this uh, X here. And uh, Henry Blackaby, in his book, Experiencing God, calls it a crisis of belief. And that's when, you know, you've had this huge surge from the point that you met the Lord. You've, you've grown, and then, yeah, you know, things are cooling off a little bit. You're still committed and all of that. It's not a commitment thing, but about the time as things are cooling off, something happens in life. And there's a disappointment. There's a job loss. There's a tragedy. There's something you don't understand. There's something that really now, this thing that's happened to me, I've got to see it now. Everything's been the up and up. But now I've got to see that problem through the lens of the Bible. And it's called a crisis of belief. What am I going to do with that? And uh, and so that's kind of what we said happened with Habakkuk. And so what we learned in the first week, what we what we landed on is that Habakkuk's name, which means to wrestle or embrace, we talked about how, you know, even when we go through these times and we go in the head toward the hill and down into the valley, that we can continue to wrestle and embrace with God. It's okay. Uh, we can ask questions. Then last week, week one was on wondering. Week two is about waiting. And uh, last week, uh, Brad talked to us about three things we can do when we're hurting. When you're hurting, you can listen. Just stop and listen to the Lord. Um, in Habakkuk 2:1, he says something like, "I will look to see what God will say to me, and it's in that place where, even though I'm here, I don't run away from God, I don't quit on God, but I stop and I listen to God." The second thing we talked about last week was write. Write it down. And in Habakkuk chapter two, we hear him hear those instructions, write it down. And uh, so we talked a little bit about, you know, how journaling or just making some notes on your phone or just putting a little note here and there to just remember what God's doing, document it, record it, write it down. And then the last one after listen, write, the last one was wait. And then just wait on God. And, And we said this, I think this is up on the screen, if it's not God's time, you can't force it. When it is God's time, you can't stop it. And so that, that's key, that in the waiting time, we, we focus on that. So we landed on this. No matter what I see, no matter what I feel, I make a choice to say in this place, I'm going to choose faith. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit about this, this tonight, and I'm going to ask you some questions about what have you done when you've reached a crisis of belief? What do you know that other people have done who maybe have quit? who maybe have walked away, and what does that look like uh, when we face that crisis of belief? And I think it's worth saying that uh, anybody who serves the Lord for any amount of time, they're going to have more than one of these, right? You're going to have multiple crisis of beliefs, and that's okay. It's okay to have those moments. It's okay to wrestle, and it's okay to embrace. So when we open up Habakkuk chapter 3, there's a change. There's a, uh, the tone changes. All the way up to the end of chapter 2, there's kind of this feel of of angst and agony and disappointment and wondering. And at the very end of of chapter 2, Habakkuk says this. He says, but the Lord is in his holy temple. After everything he's wrestled with, he says, I know this. The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. It's Psalm 46 and 10. Be still and know that I am God. He's still hurting. He's still confused. He's he's not sure what's going on. But he is saying with his mouth, God is still on the throne. God is still in charge. God has still got this. And and that's the end of chapter 2. But when we get to chapter 3, it's like there's a reset. You know, we all are used to the reset button on our phones, on our computers on so many different things. And sometimes things get jumbled and you need a reset. And chapter 3 is kind of a reset. And he moves, and you'll hear him say it, from confused to trusting, from unsettled to embracing. So let's look at how Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 1 starts off. It says, a prayer of Habakkuk the prophet on Shijanoth. Everybody say Shijanoth. Okay, Uh, You you didn't cuss in church. You didn't cuss at home if you think you did when you said shijanoth. But shijanoth is only found one other time in Scripture. It's found in Psalms, and the plural of it is found in Psalms. I'm not even going to try to say the plural of it. But we don't know a lot about it, but what we do know about it, where we find it, it is a musical term. It's a term that instructs us on how... A song or a psalm, in the case of the psalms, should be or could be sung by a congregation or to a congregation. So, for example, there are some songs that we sing that you would say are kind of like a ballad. They're slow songs. You would almost say they're a love song to God. You know, they're slower. You you know, it doesn't have the punch. Like the song we just finished with, uh, you know, do it again. It's got this punch the whole time. You know, you just feel like you're. When I when I sing that song, I feel like I need to be marching. Do it again. It's got that feel the whole time. Some songs have that type of feel. Some songs have the ballad. Some songs are energy, high energy, praise, enthusiasm. That is what Shijanath is. Shijanath is a song that you sing with strong emotion, impassioned exuberance wild, passionate singing with rapid changes in rhythm, it's high praise and victorious enthusiasm. I pray that we will get some Shijanath around this place. We need a little more shijanath in the room on well, I think we have a good little bit of shijanath here tonight. It was a lot of a lot of energy right here. and uh, and that type of Shijanath praise, you know that should be a part of of us, but if you think about it, it almost sounds, not only does a weir- the words sound weird, but that type of praise sounds strange coming from where we are in the story. You would think it would be more like a um, a whiny, "Cryin' My Beer" kind of song. Y'all know the ones we're talking. I mean, we're all in the South, you know. You know those country songs that, if you're like me, you make a mistake and go to the country radio station, and they're crying about their dog and their their girlfriend and their truck and their cow and everything's you know, a tear in my beer, and, it, you know, it, it just makes you want to go jump off a cliff somewhere, some of those songs. It's not one of those types of songs. Um, it's one of those songs, somebody said in, in studying it, they said it would be the type of song that after every line, you would put an exclamation point. You know, you would, you would throw an, expa- an, an exclamation point. Now, for those of you who, who do a lot of texting, and you're on, you're on social media, you know, how many people are exclamation point people? You like to use exclamation points, okay? All right, I, I know a lot of people love to use exclamation points. Now, they say that really one is enough, right? I mean, it, it's what it, one is, does it all. But I'm guilty. I like three. For some reason, I like to put three in there. I feel like it's da-da-da. It's, it's a good bite on three. But this is a shiganath is, is an exclamation point type of expression, now I want us to notice something. This is in Habakkuk 3:1. The problem is not solved. The situation has not changed. The whole problem from the beginning was that God said to him, and I, I, I think I missed saying this Babylon is coming, and they are going to invade Judah and wipe them out and take some of them with them, and it is going to be really, really bad. It's going to be awful. And that's what Habakkuk was hearing, that's what he was praying about. But even though that was the word of the Lord to him in chapter 1, in chapter 3, with this Shigannath type of praise, notice he's giving this praise before God did what he wanted him to do. And sometimes, this is one of the first big points of the night, sometimes our most passionate praise comes before the provision. There's probably been times, if you think about it in your life, where you've had to stand in a church like this, and you are still waiting on something, but you still worship. You still sang. You still declared those things. There have been times I've stood and looked at the screen and saw the words and thought, I'm still not seeing that right now. But I know I've seen it before, but I'm not seeing it right now, but I'm still going to praise despite not seeing it it's praise that's simply based on simply based on faith it's praising God based on not on what but on who you see that? it's not on what he's done right now like sometimes we come in and what seems to be going on around us like for Habakkuk is not good it is kind of tear in my beard life type of deal and so in those moments, have you ever had those moments before? Anybody here, just nod at me if you've had, where you've had to press through and praise just, I've got to know who, I've got to do it based on who he is. The what right now is not real clear, but I know who God is, and I'm going to praise him based on that. And, and that's what Habakkuk does. Now watch what he says in verse 2. He says it very clearly. He says, Lord, I have heard of your fame. You're famous, God. I've heard about you. And and I've heard about all the things you've done. And I stand in awe of your deeds, Lord. Repeat them in our day. In our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. Now, now let's kind of break that down. He's saying, Lord, I've heard about all the things you've done. And I am in awe of everything that you've done. It, It blows me away when I think about it. Repeat them in our day, which means he just said what we just sang, which was what? Do it again. He's saying what we just sang. Lord, I've seen you move. You've moved mountains, and I believe you'll do it again. You've made a way where there was no way, and I believe you'll do it again. And notice what he says, in wrath, remember mercy. He knows the wrath is coming. Because God said it in chapter one, the wrath is coming he is and and, the, and God was coming if you if you don't know God is coming and what well, he's bringing he's allowing the Babylonians to to wipe out southern kingdom of Israel, which was Judah, because of their disobedience because of their inconsistency God said that's it I, I've, warned you, I've warned you i 've warned you, I've warned you, and he had, and that and that's it, and so here it comes so when when we kind of come back to this this crisis of belief thing on the board, and we think about where we are at that point in our lives. I told you we'd come back to that. What do you do? You know, those of you who are listening at home, those of you who are in the room, think about this. What do you do when what you see with your eyes is different than what you believe in your heart, and you find yourself down here in the valley? You've got the crisis of belief. Now, here's the thing the the uh the crisis of belief happens here, but then if we're not sure if 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 a lot of times it will cause us to skedaddle out right or ride on down into a valley y'all know what I'm saying, and so what do you do when you get into that place when you get in that valley um let me ask you guys this here in the room and kind of talk back to me what happens when people reach this point and they Quit crying out to God They get so despondent And they're so lost That they quit crying out to God What happens with the rest of their story? They let the enemy in their thoughts Right, absolutely They go deeper Right Into the problem Right Yes, absolutely. They lose hope that that anything can change. Any other thoughts about that? So, here's what Habakkuk says in this chapter. He tells us two things that we can do when we're in the valley. When we're in the valley and we're in this place, and we've been there before, you may be there tonight, you may be there in the weeks ahead. Number one, he says, remember. Number one, remember the goodness of God. Now, watch what he says in verse 3. He says, God came down from Tamon, the Holy One from Mount Paran. His glory covered the heavens and his praise filled the earth. Now, those two places in that verse don't mean a lot to us because we don't really, we're like, I, I don't know what Taman is, and I don't know what Pairon is, and I, I kind of check out when I hear that. But those two places meant a whole lot to Habakkuk. It meant a lot to the people of God, because those were the places that God took his people for refuge after delivering them from Egyptian bondage. They were specific places that they would have remembered, that Habakkuk would have remembered, where after they were, after they were the celebrated, the, the, their victorious um, exit from Exodus from Pharaoh, that these were two places that, that Moses experienced. And so Habakkuk is remembering a time in this conversation, in this verse, when we thought, as the people of Israel, we thought we would be in bondage forever. But God made a way, God moved the heart of Pharaoh. God split up in the Red Sea. God destroyed our enemies. And he begins to think back on the faithfulness of God. He says, God, again, you came down from Tamar and the Holy One from Mount Paran. And you covered the heavens. I'm sorry, his glory covered the heavens and his praise filled the earth. He's declaring what God has done. Now, look what he says in verse 4. He continues to describe what God did. He said, his splendor was like the sunrise. Rays flashed from his hand where his power was hidden. Plague went before him. Pestilence followed his steps. Sounds like Exodus, right? He stood and shook the earth. He looked and made the nations tremble. Habakkuk is saying, God, I remember your faithfulness. I remember your goodness. I remember your justice to look after your people. I remember your presence. And, and then, we're not going to look at it, but verses 7 through 15, he continues to talk about the justice and the faithfulness of God. He could have gone through a list right here. You, have you ever been reading the Old Testament? You see this a lot in the Psalms. David wrote something like this in maybe First Samuel, where they just run a list. You know, God, I remember when you did this. I remember when you did this. And it's like, a, it's like reading a history book of everything that Israel had done. And that was something that he could have done right there, but uh, but he didn't do that. But we need to remember when we're in the valley the goodness and the faithfulness of, of God. For him, although he didn't say it, he was remembering that even though Cain killed Abel, that God gave Adam and Eve another son named Seth through whom men would begin to call on the name of the Lord again. He was saying, I remember that, there was a man named Noah that God preserved him and his family. I remember that there was a man named Abraham that God called out and he said I'm going to make you into a great nation and he did. That there was a man named Joseph who had these incredible dreams and God fulfilled those dreams. That there were men like Gideon and Samson and David who had incredible victories and he's he's recalling those things in his mind. And and in the book one of the things that that Grochelle says is this, one of the best aids to climbing out of the valley is remembering what God has done for us. Listen, not just the people in the Bible, not just your friends, not just your parents, not just even your church, the things we say, wow, look what God did in our church and for our church. But remembering what God did for you. That's a big key to this part right here. And we'll just write this in here. This key of remembering what God has done is a key. As I wrote that, it just just clicked in my mind. It's like a a rope. You know, Um, man, that's really good. I hadn't thought about that thank you lord that 's really cool it 's like I have this image in my mind of like um there was a pond that was out at my mom and near my mom and dad 's house that we would swim in as kids and um, and the the way to get up from the depths of that pond there was a rope that hung over the side and you grab the rope and you put your feet in the mud of the wall of that pond and you climb that rope up to get back on the side. you jump off and you climb the rope. All country folks have done that before probably but here 's what happens is. You know, I, I, I won't draw a really good rope, but, but this is, this is kind of like a rope that God throws over from the side to get us back where he wants us to be. And, and every notch of that rope, you ever seen a rope that's got notches in it? Every notch of that rope is you stopping to say, I remember what God has done. And remembering is a way to help you climb out of where, where you've been. Now, he talks about something in the book the difference between short-term and long-term memory, okay? So let's talk about that a little bit because that's key to this whole deal of, of remembering, okay? So other than the obvious, they're obviously defined, but what are some other things you would think about to describe the difference in short-term and long-term memory? Anybody got any ideas? What are, things, what are some examples of things that are short-term memory things? Yeah, doctor's appointments, dates, things like that. What you had for lunch, okay? Now, let's talk about food a little bit, because I'm hungry. So let's talk about food. You don't remember what you had for lunch. You know, you don't remember what you had a couple of nights ago. You know, you start making the menu for this week, I don't even remember what we had last week. Um, unless it's like for us in the in the late 90s we went on it we had a hamburger we were young married didn't have a lot of money and ate hamburger helper all the time and I was a point in time I remember the early 2000s I'm like please no more hamburger helper let's graduate to something else uh, chicken helper or whatever but um, not tuna helper Whew! lord help us so um we're talking about food okay so think about this even though you don't remember what you ate, do you remember a meal sometime that you had, say, with your spouse? Anniversary date, big event, and you can remember exactly what you ate, where you were at, how good it was? Anybody have those memories? You know, I have a memory for, for us. Uh, we, had, uh, we were at a church one time. They gave us a, because it was the only, thing, only way it was going to ever happen, they gave us a gift certificate to Ruth Chris. It was the only time we ever went. And I'm telling you, that's, that's the best steak I've probably ever had. It lived up to it. It was an amazing night. I remember everything about that night. But I don't remember the steaks I ate at Longhorn. I don't remember the steaks I've cooked at home. But I remember that steak. Because, you know, it, but why do things stick in your long-term memory versus your short-term memory? We remember what matters most to us. Because we play it often in our memory. I think about some of the stories my dad tells that are, that are, I mean, they're 50, 60, 70 years. My dad's 75, and he tells some stories, and I'm thinking, how do you remember these stories? But he remembers these stories because he's told them over and over and over and over through his life. He may not remember what he had. He may not remember, you know, the details of Christmas from two years ago. But we remember the things that we replay often in our memories. So let me ask you this along with this tonight are there any testimonies that you have in your walk with the Lord that are memories that you bring to mind to help you remember the goodness of God sure there are you know when you get in those moments and you're all here because you've been through these times you've climbed out a lot of these holes right and you climb out of them because you know I know this notch represents this time I remember what God did in that moment and got me out, and this notch represents another moment when God got me out, and and that is the key. One of the best aids to climbing out of the valley is remembering what God has done for us, and we we could take plenty of time to do that. Let me ask you this: D- Does anybody have any um, other than writing it down? I mean, last and maybe there's a creative way you do this, because one of the points of last week was to write it down, but. Does anyone have any creative things that you do to help you remember what God has done in your life and how he's helped shape your story? Anybody have anything creative that, that you do or you know that somebody does that you want to share with us? They have little flowers around them. Little. So what you're saying is when you see something that you designed, you, you see that as a remembrance of God's... Uh, creative work in your life yeah that's that's pretty amazing I remember uh, several years ago we were going through a, an uncertain time in our in our lives and and praying about what was next for us and there were several months where we were not sure what was going to happen in our lives and Tressa found a, a little glass uh, container with a top on her or something she put it on the mantle and she said we're just gonna start every time God answers a prayer of the things we're praying about for this next season we're gonna write it down and put it in that and we just began to do that and um, I remember another season when we were the kids were younger but we were really we were really seeking God's direction about something specifically and I made note cards for the whole family of five things we were praying about specifically It was actually right before we moved back here and uh, gave it to the whole family and I said okay I want all y'all to be praying about these five things and we they i guess the kids were praying for him too we were praying for those five things and it was amazing how god answered all five things in about like a week they came like they fell in place it was crazy and it was like it's like that thing we said a while ago uh you know when i can't remember when god when when god's ready to move you can't stop it when you want him to move you, and whatever that nice saying was i can't remember how it goes but that's how it was for us we're like Move, move, move God, you know we 're right on the edge, we're about to fall off the cliff, we need an answer, and then it came, and it just laid in place and and when you remember those things, it's so important. look at this quote this is nobody gets credit for it except anonymous, whoever anonymous is, but this is so good. if you think God has forgotten you, then you have forgotten who God is. isn't that good? If you think God has forgotten you then you have forgotten who God is. That's powerful. That's something worth writing down and putting on the mirror. So if you've ever felt like giving up, going away, let me ask you all this question. If you've ever been in this place, and I'll I'll say it like this for those of you who are here. When you've been in this place, other than what we talked about, remembering the goodness of God, or is there another way you do that? What keeps you from, from going on? What has kept you... In the game and not quitting. Somebody share something with us here tonight. That's good. If you're watching from home, and you probably can't hear all of that. But uh, in a nutshell, Brad was just saying the Holy Spirit. You know, the power of the Holy Spirit at work in our lives is one of the things that keeps us going. So when we get to this place, uh, and, and we're, we're going to remember, the next thing to do is not just when we're in this crisis of belief going back to this spot he says the next thing for us not to do is just endure well I just got to endure it you know I just got to get through it I think sometimes we so I was thinking about this today I think sometimes we we misinterpret perseverance and think it's just endurance I just got to get through it. I just got to endure it. It's going to be miserable. It's going to be awful. I've got to have a bad attitude. I've got to be depressed. I'm going to lose everything I got. I just got to endure it. But he says, enduring is just a passive response to what's happening to you. It's like laying down dead, you know, rolling over. Uh, It doesn't take a lot to endure. The difference is we embrace, not endure, but this is the last one remember and embrace embrace that God is good even in a crisis of belief I'm still going to embrace that God is good and that those are the notches as I'm climbing out I'm embracing God is good I'm remembering even though everything I see tells me that this situation and see that's the thing for Habakkuk. the situation it was not good there's no he gets no good news Kinda of like 2020 right there's no good news you know no good news but he keeps and we're going to see what he does in just a second he keeps remembering he he keeps he keeps remembering and embracing remembering and, and embracing we don't see him even though he and god's gone back and forth he's not whining he's not tearing my beer remember he is embracing so He felt like, you know, okay, the Babylonians are coming. He recognized it's bad. It's about to get worse. He braced everything. Now, here's something that we need to understand, too. Embracing it is not denial. It's not pretending that bad things aren't true, okay? Because I think we talked about that in week one, that denial is not the key, okay? Um, It is looking bad news in the face and still declaring that God is good. It is, with everything I am, I'm going to continue to embrace this goodness. So chapter 1 was all about wondering. Chapter 2 was all about waiting. And chapter 3 is all about embracing. Now look what he says in verse 16. We're almost finished. He said, I heard, and my heart pounded, my lips quivered, at the sound decay crept into my bones, and my legs trembled. He's very specific about the physical toll, the mental toll that this news is coming on him, is, is having on him. When he says my heart pounded, it's not, okay, I've seen a, a beautiful Israelite woman that God has brought to me and my heart's pounding, maybe she's the one for me. It's not a love heart pounding. This is, I am, I am scared to death. Bad news, my heart is pounding, my lips quivered. I feel like I'm dying inside. Decay crept in my bones. My legs tremble. I'm physically weak at the news. The Babylonians are coming to destroy our people. And in verse, uh, he says, continues in that verse, I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. Imagine that. You're you're just waiting for doom to come. It's bad. It's going to get worse. It's going to be brutal. And then look where he lands on verse 17. Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails, and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen, and no cattle in the stall. So you might say it this way. Even though my spouse said, till death do us part, they didn't live up to their word, I will still rejoice in God. Even though I raise my kids to know better and they're making bad decisions, scary decisions, I will still trust in the Lord. Even though we've prayed for somebody's health to get better and they didn't, they got worse, yet I'll still trust the Lord. Though I'm still asking God for a job, for provision, that answer has not come yet, I'm still going to trust the Lord. Even though we've lost something so valuable and we don't understand why we lost that, I'll still trust the Lord. Even though I don't like it, even though I don't understand it, even though I know he could and he hasn't yet, I will still trust in the Lord. And after all that, Habakkuk says in verse 18, yet, fig tree, no figs, no grapes, no olives, no, no fields, no crops, no sheep, no cattle, boom, everything's destroyed. Yet, verse 18, I will I will rejoice in the Lord I will be joyful in God my Savior There may be plenty of reasons for me not to rejoice And he was honest He listed them No figs, no food, no cattle No grapes, no olives, no sheep Everything stinks right now But I will rejoice in the Lord This is Shijanath prays. It is full body, full soul, everything declaring the goodness and the faithfulness of God. Strong emotion. It's being real. There is no denial. Listen, there is no denial. He's not denying that there's nothing out, out the back porch of the farm. It's gone. But he he looks at empty trees and empty fields and it depends and said, yet I will rejoice in the Lord and I will be joyful in God my Savior it's a faith that worships when everything's not right it's a faith that gives God praise even when, in you, even when you don't see what you want to see it's a cry from the depth of your hearts believing in the goodness of God in the middle of the pain it's praise before the provision it's praise with exclamation points I will rejoice in the Lord my Savior not the what but the who And what did we say his name means? One of the first things we came out of the gate with, Habakkuk, to wrestle or embrace. And that's what he's done. For three chapters, he's wrestled or embraced the whole time. So, don't walk away from God in chapter 1. Don't quit in chapter 2. Habakkuk looks at the situation. He looks in the eye. He knows it's going to get worse. But yet, he says, God is still worthy. He's still worthy of praise He's still worthy of my life and my commitment. God never does. And listen to this. God never does what Habakkuk wants him to do and say, "Nah, I'm I'm not going to do that. Or I won't bring up the full wrath. He never does what he wants him to do. But notice the last verse. This is so good. And I kind of wish I'd say this for a Sunday morning because this is so good. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. Look at that. The man has been through it. And he sees what's not yet there. He sees, I'm coming out of this valley. I'm not going to be stuck here forever. And here's what we learned through this, and you guys know this is true. We we know this is true. I enjoy God on the mountaintops. But I get to know God in the valley. Yea, though I walk through the valley. Through the valley. Not stopping. Though I walk through the valley, I will fear no evil, for my God is with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Even with all that going on. It's what James said in James 1, 2, and 4. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of any kind, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. I don't like that. I'm sorry James I just I don't really like that verse it's just I'll be honest you read that and you're like joy really James what are you drinking or smoking when you wrote this that you could consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds and he says in verse 3 it's like he says you know because you know you know that the trials and the problems and the junk that is what gives you perseverance that's what gives you grit that's what that's what creates some calluses on your feet from walking with the Lord and then verse 4 let perseverance finish its work so you may be mature and complete not lacking anything you can't have a chapter 3 faith he says without wondering in chapter 1 and waiting in chapter 2 you've got to continue to remember embrace So, let me ask us this question and we'll close out with prayer. Based on how you've seen God bring good out of your past, what do you think he might be doing in your present to help you become more like Christ? Whatever it is that you're in right now, you may be here right now and you're just sunshine and roses and that's great because we all get to enjoy those times. You may be in this place or you're here, you're coming out of it, but wherever you are right now, What do you think he might be doing right now to help you to become more like Jesus? What is he doing that, like James said, you know, something that he's doing right now to help you persevere so you'll be more mature, so you'll be more complete, uh, not lacking anything. Wrestle and embrace, week one. Listen, write, and wait, week two. And tonight, remember and embrace. Remember and embrace. Not endure, but embrace. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for preserving this book in your word. It's different. It's unusual. It's uh, it's not a lot of joyous moments in it. But God, we see joy in the journey. God, I, I think we see ourselves in it. And so, Lord, I pray right now for your people who are here in this room and those who are listening at home, maybe those who will watch this later. Wherever they may be, as we've talked about on this chart, God, if they're at the top, they're enjoying life, if they're at a crisis of belief, they're at the bottom or they're pulling themselves up by a rope, Lord. You are so faithful in every area of our lives, God. And I pray that we would all walk away from this short series knowing that it is okay for us to wrestle one minute and embrace the next. You're okay with us wrestling two hours after we sing, Lord, I I believe you're going to do it again. And then you're okay with us embracing in the morning when we pray and read our our Bible and have our coffee or whatever it might be. And and God, I just pray, Lord, wherever your people may be today, if it's in the wondering or if it's in the waiting, God, that they would take from what we've shared tonight the importance of the remembering, the embracing. And God, as you create those notches in our rope, that Lord will look back on them as we've said tonight and see that wow, those are spots and places as your word says, those are, those are Ebenezer moments where we build an altar and we remember your faithfulness. We remember your goodness and we can look at those altars and remember it and know that we've seen you move and we'll know you'll do it again. So Lord, we pray that you'll bring encouragement that, that what Brad talked about a while ago, the power of the Holy Spirit at work in our lives, speaking in our ears and in our spirits. May your power and your spirit speak to people who are listening at home, people who are in this room who need to hear it. And may they receive the encouragement and the strength that they need to. And we praise you for your word and what we've we've gained from it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We hope to see you back Sunday morning at 9 o'clock or 11 o'clock. It's Father's Day, and we're going to have a great day of worship. As we are going to be continuing our series, we're talking about the breastplate of righteousness on Sunday morning. We are going to apply that to Father's Day. We've got a gift for fathers and all men Sunday, so we hope you'll join us. So uh, 11 o'clock live stream or 9 or 11 here in the room, and we hope to see you then. Have a great rest of the week. God bless you. We'll see you later.